What happens at laser tag never stays at laser tag. Laser. Laser unfocused tag talk. Laser unfocused tag talk. I feel like you could be like in Ghostbusters or something. Like oh my god, you have got some stories. Let's talk about laser tag. Who knew you were a laser tag legend? Time to get laser unfocused. Tag talk with Tivia. Welcome to Laser Unfocused Tag Talk. Hi, I'm Tivia. When a laser tag enthusiast makes the leap to become a laser tag operator, there are bound to be some stories. Nathan Buxhopden, aka Aztec, talks about the adventures and challenges he's experienced along this journey. I'd like to welcome Nathan Buxhopden, owner of Kinetics in Bellport, Long Island, and longtime laser tag player to join me for some Laser Unfocused Tag Talk. Hey, Nathan, how's it going? Hi, Laurie. Doing okay? Very good. Now, you and I have something in common, which is that we have played at a crazy amount of laser tag arenas. So I'd like to start with that. And tell me, how many arenas have you played at? Played nowhere near as many as you. I'm in the 280s, 280s, 290s played. That sounds like there's an asterisk there. So, okay, you've played 280, but is there more to that? Oh, uh, yes. I tracked the vi sites I visited. Um, both sites visited that are still active and some sites I visited, you know, after they closed or before they opened or whatever. I just couldn't be there when they actually existed or were in business operation. Um, I'm in the high 300s of sites I've been to physically. It's pretty amazing to see what some of these locations do. And I mean, when you have a passion for laser tag, it, you just want to see everything. It's, it's how I feel anyway. Do you feel kind of the same about that? Oh, yeah. But as you know, sometimes you show up to a site and they're just like, we're private only or whatever, like a sports club that's you know, for a daycare and you just can't play. So I used to record that I've been to the site, but sometimes they'll let you walk the arena but not play, you know, so I had like a separate column for those. Yep, I, I totally had that experience also, but it's always the most fun when you get to play because uh, we both love laser tag. And I'd love to know a little bit about how did it all start for you? Where did you first play and what got you so enthusiastic about laser tag? Uh, the first I ever played was actually Photon as a kid uh, here on Long Island. They had the East Setauket Photon. Um, the, I want to say I was probably nine. Um, it was a birthday party, had a, you know, kind of the wealthy friend that could afford to do that kind of thing and did it. Um, and then I, I, must have just been like a, a helmet with feet, you know, at the time. Tiny little kid. <laughs> Those things were heavy back then. I barely remember it. I, I was enamored um, with the Photon TV show as a little kid. So that was just the most exciting thing. I think that's all I could see in my head when it was there and that was actually happening. Because all my memories of it basically are from the Photon TV show, not from the actual experience. I think anybody who was a kid in that era looked at that TV show with incredibly different eyes than the older players. So what about that grabbed you? Uh, the first time I ever saw anything like that, it was like a whole nother world. You know, the the design of the arena, the the lights, the music, everything was just you know, out of this world, basically experience, you know, the size, especially as a little kid, that was just, you know, grandiose and impressive. I was just going to say that that was the first time I got to play, but it was, you know, many years after that, before I got to play again. <laughs> so when did you really get into it with like some serious playing those many years after? Uh, I started getting to play regularly when I was a uh, freshman in high school. Uh, some friends, older friends, had started going to um, a laser storm and a QSAR site here on Long Island. Um, one group was going to one moment with another. They kind of talked to each other and started going back and forth to team them. And I got to start going along with them. And that became like a weekly thing. And then we had a zone site or a Tron site open and then a zone site. We used to kind of go to each of them like either once a month or you know once a week so you really got to experience a whole variety of different laser tags and did you have a favorite then versus what you're playing now yes uh i was uh probably favorite back then was uh actually it was probably laser storm but at times it would have been zone um the Tron was the old, old, old Tron with BMX armor, like uh, LT7, and then later got upgraded to LT9. Um, and it was it was fun to play. It was very different from the others, but um, it didn't 
it just wasn't quite the same exciting. The Storm that we played was a totally different than Laser Storm elsewhere. It was undivided. We had multiple lives. That was uh, super exciting. Eventually, it got more boring. The, the zone site was the more interesting one. It was the first one we actually had a league. So I'd say that was probably more interesting. Very cool. Now, I know you and I have talked about different experiences. And when you referenced the Tron with BMX armor, uh, talk to me a little about what you remember of that. Um, it was dramatically different than anything I saw before. Um, like even Qzar, you know, which has the, the say the BMX bike armor, it's not as big or, or, or um, bulky. It was more like the Photon with like had this serious you know helmet that you put on and battery pack. The first experience I got that was something like that was the Tron. Uh, um, you had the giant shoulder pads with the big sensors on it and the chest plate. It was it was definitely something heavy. Whereas the Laser Storm was the tiny you know you know, box and a headset. Um, I said, even, even QSAR wasn't nowhere near the same degree. And... Gotcha. And some of those systems involved code names. Some of them didn't. You go by Aztec. Tell me about your code name. Where did that come from? And why is that significant to you? Um, well, pretty much back in the day, like none of us got to pick our code names. Um, all of our friends basically picked our code names. Like, we had code names that so people would start doing um later like at first everyone was just you know john or mike or you know um you know tiffany or whatever was your name and um a site opened up later that started using code names uh it actually wasn't the zone site because we just said zap zone they didn't have memberships um it was I, I was referred to it as basically like laser blast it was a, a Korean knockoff of Zone. They only had three sites in the US because it was a laser space system. And they had a membership program. It was the first place we ever had membership cards and they had to have a code name assigned to it. And at first everyone kind of picked one. And then at some point they decided that nobody was allowed to keep that one. Everyone had to have one that everyone else picked. So Aztec was picked for me because it was from the, the Tick. I don't know if you know the comic book and cartoon TV show. Um, there's a, a one of the comics where he's running around yelling Aztec, it's just supposed to be nonsense. It has no point. And everyone thought it'd be funny because I wouldn't know what it meant and that would annoy me, but I actually knew the tick. So, um, and then, yeah, once you basically pick the co-name, none of the group I played with for, you know, here's whatever lets you change it. So that's what everyone called just <laughs> That's how I got introduced <laughs> to the rest of the world. Yep. Once you're branded, you're stuck with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In fact, I found that even around people that I knew, they didn't know my real name. They only knew me as Tibia. Did you ever have that? Yes. Uh, well, not quite so much as Aztecs, obviously, that already, but I, I have met some people who thought your name was actually Tibia. <laughs> and that, of course, is a throwback to the old Photon show. Yes. <laughs> so a lot of history with laser tag. And, um, you know, as, as enthusiasts and players, we view it from one vantage point, but you and your wife made the jump. And I'd love to know what made you decide to make the leap from being a player and enthusiast to now a laser tag operator? Uh, we're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, uh, well, I've looked at, at Long Island, this area, for many, many years. Uh, this area kind of had been underserved for a while. Um, we've had two QSARs out in this area, um, basically like three miles west of us where I'm located and three miles east of us, historically. Um, one, the roof fell in and <laughs> that could have closed that place. And the other one, there's kind of this whole crazy scandal with the owners and stealing from each other, et cetera. And that one shut down. And since then, it's kind of been... Uh, you know, underserved. Um, and so it looked like an opportunity. Uh, my job was um, uh, uh, pretty supportive and yeah, we, we definitely can make that move. So we, we tried it. Um, then COVID came along and made everything a nightmare. <laughs> so. Well, Let's talk about that for a moment. You did try and open an arena in a really unique time in history. And so what was your experience? I mean, when did you start planning and when did things fall off the rails and when did things get back on track? We started planning late 2018 um, and really committed to it in the summer, early summer, late spring June of uh, May, June, 2019. Um, I'd say we, we decided we commit probably April 2019 and uh, 
you know, start putting serious money behind it in May and June. Um, we were uh, shopping for a building and financing, the, you know, quote, two hardest parts. We had gotten the financing, but the building was constantly being difficult. Um, the real estate uh, it wasn't the best of choices in a lot of cases. The building that we're in now uh, opened up, um, I want to say in September of that year, late September. So we kind of just had stumbled across it like well into our search period. Uh, we negotiated with the uh, landlord. We got a, um, basically an agreement settled out and we signed the lease and like three weeks later, like because we had just submitted, we had to sign the lease to get all the paperwork in for the permits. Um, in New York, there's no such thing as uh, amusement. So anything that's, you know, zone 1A can be amusement, but you have to get a permit for that business. If a business is there and closes the permit, or the use goes away after three years of non-use. So you can move into a bowling alley that had just closed and not have to get a special use. But if you, if the bowling alley becomes, you know, a uh, something else, a nightclub or a warehouse or something after three years, if the bowling alley moves back in, they have to get a whole new permit again. And they have to get that permit before they can do any other permits. So uh, we had signed the lease, submitted the paperwork for the permit, and then COVID shut everything down. And then they basically said, we can't go forward because you can't open. Um, so the state says you can open, we can't look at the permit for the use. So, so you were on pause for a stretch of little better months. than a year? Yeah, 13 months. 13 so months. Then we were, yeah. So eventually we were able to get the permits moving forward, but that took a lot longer than you know planned. Uh, and in the process, the bank that we had gotten um, approved from got purchased by another bank, okay. a bank that does not do indoor entertainment. In fact, the head of the, um, the lending department um, got changed to this new bank person for the region who I had already spoke to when we were originally seeking finance and says, we don't do entertainment. So we had to find a new bank. Um, and that was right as we got our permits. So we were ready to go. So we ended up getting a whole nother delay. So we had a 13 month delay waiting on the permits and then another eight months getting the permits and then getting the financing. So and then I imagine that you kind of fell victim to the same things that a lot of things are dealing with, with supply chain issues. COVID really kind of messed with a lot of things. And, and so I'm sure that that didn't help with the delays any. Yeah, the, the cost of materials was through the roof. The delays on the construction were, uh, you know, unprecedented is the phrase I kept using. It really was. Uh, um, talk to any of the other operators or whatever did it and listen to their stories. And we're just like, nope. And now we're here from other people that are trying to expand or do other things. And it's just unbelievable. They're, you know, compared to their other experiences, this is just a totally different world. Um, it's gotten a little better nowadays, but yeah, there's just... I, everything, you know, <laughs> things you can't even imagine, you know, there's shortage on tape, there's shortage on, you know, paint. At, at one point, I was actually told by Sherwin Williams that we bought all the paint that they have, um, like in the entire region, like in three states for black paint. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> there was a shortage on black paint, the material they make from it. So there was nothing in the pipeline. It was like, and a lot of people were doing home renovations, so a lot of paint had gone out the door and they didn't have any more of the base they needed to make more. So, yeah. Well, you made it to the other side, and I have been to your arena a few times now, and it's gorgeous, and you you made it through all of those challenges. And actually, there were there were some interesting things in between also, because before you actually officially opened, you and I had agreed that your arena was going to be number 400 in my series, and we went through all almost all the hurdles you could to make that number fall in line, including a temporary arena that I understand I am the only one who ever got to play. So could you just kind of tell the story of how that happened before you actually got your real arena opened? <laughs> um, for a time, it looked like we actually were going to catch a little bit of luck and be able to open, um, not on schedule, but on a schedule that we were targeting for. Um, we want to be open before spring break and that time frame. obviously. Um, we ended up opening into the summer, which is the slowest time. Um, so we want to open, get uh, um, a higher revenue period, be able to do initial big advertising for a time that would co you know, coincide with the uh, you know, peak traffic. 
So we were attempting to do that. It looked like it was going to happen, but there's going to be delays in getting the arena installed, which is obviously going to delay the laser tag getting installed. Um, however, we were able to get a bunch of the laser tag equipment already. Um, so, and we had a bunch of curtains for VR that we weren't able to get the equipment for the VR. So we had the bright idea that we'll set up the curtains and all the framing, uh, basically like photo booth, you know, curtain rods and get some tarps and so block and make a temporary arena with that and some pop-up tents as if it was like a, you know, mobile tactical field, like in a gymnasium or something. Mm-hmm. And we set up about 20 of the packs and had a temporary arena just in case we'd be able to actually open, be able to do something, you know, instead of nothing. But uh, that didn't pan out because we ended up running into a bunch of last minute delays. So it actually turned out that we wouldn't be able to open anyway until we actually had the arenas. So I came down and I saw that setup, and I guess I'm the only one, but it it worked out so nicely because officially I did get to play Kinetics as my 400th arena in the course of some other travels. And then I came back when it became a real arena and you have done some amazing and really interesting things that you're not going to see in every arena. So yours has some very unique features. Tell me about what you've got at Kinetics that you're not going to run across just everywhere. Well, we have, uh, first of all, it's a divided arena or a dividable arena. It has uh, four doors that separate two halves that we can um, close off or open. They're maglock doors, so we can just flip a switch and the doors open. Um, the doors are camouflaged so that they look like the regular parts of the arena. Um, so I think you've, you've noticed it, and we've had a lot of customers notice it as well, they can't, unless we show where they are, most people can't seem to tell where they are. Even if they play one game with them closed, one game with them open, they don't notice. They're like, where are those doors? The, room, the room's just bigger suddenly. You know? mm-hmm. So they're, they, we want it to be more organic than just like a, a garage door or something I've seen elsewhere where you can separate two, you know, two parts of the room. Um, and then on top of it, the arenas are all symmetrical to each other. So they are... Um, offset from each other about 13 feet due to the shape of the room, but we designed them in such a way that that would, nothing would be um, out of out of place basically from something else. So everywhere there's a door in one, there's a opening, that same opening is mimicked on the other side. So other than being off by a few inches here or there, because the building wasn't quite square, um, it's basically each side is symmetrical to every other side and the two halves of the ring are identical. Uh, I think there's, uh, we did have a one oddness that come out. The fire marshal actually gave a one person difference in size between the two because the doors can close. They treated each one as its own separate fire rated area. So we actually have two like occupancy signs and one arena has 52 rating persons and one is 51 persons rating because <laughs> the arena was off by seven total square feet because it's there's three inch difference because the building isn't square. And so it came out to like seven total square feet, which is just enough to be one extra person. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Well, when that becomes an issue, we'll count those feet very carefully. But the fact that you can open it up into one arena space is very cool. But what I also think is really interesting is that you have it set up in such a way that you can run games with the same system going on concurrently. So what went into making those decisions and making that happen? Uh, well, Tim Canizio from Laser Force, as you know, um, is basically the you know, North American expert at setting up multiple arenas. Um, Laser Force has a, a pretty decent edge from some other systems in basically running two concurrent arenas with the same set of packs. There's two radio systems going back to two different computers. And those two computers, just by having one computer able to control both radio sets and you just disable it, only talks to one set of packs and the other computer could talk to the other. If you simply remove that one radio communication and turn it on in the other one, then all the packs are on the same computer. So there's essentially a master computer that can run for the all 40 packs as one and all bases under one. Or if you disable that radio set, it only talks to the 20 that are on radio set one and radio set two operates in arena two. So it's very quick to switch back and forth. Um, uh, we've got most of the staff trained fairly well. And I'd say with two people, one, one making sure the doors are shut and one doing it in the computer, it's like 20 seconds. 
Is that something that's basically unique to your setup because you wanted it that way? Or is that something that you know to be offered other in other areas? As I understand it, at least for laser force sites, we're the only one in the United States. Um, there are sites that are operating multiple. In fact, there's one, I believe, operating three arenas that can actually converge into one in Canada. Um, for our particular um, use case, it was the local business market. Um, every laser tag and all the other uh, birthday parties offer complete exclusive use of facilities, not necessarily the whole place, but private party rooms and private use for the laser tag. The normal laser tag um, um, profit margin is basically built around having 40 packs because I can throw three parties in at a time and they all play in the same game. That's not acceptable here. Um, a laser tag tried a few years back and it went terrible for them. Parents just walk out, you know, how, how dare you? Um, so the presumption is that they're going to have a complete private use and they're not going to pay more for it. They're just going to get it. So in order to be able to run more than one party at a time, we had to be able to separate the arena, but you also have large groups and need to be able to play them together. So it was basically allowed us to have the best of both worlds. Which led into an interesting case I hadn't even thought of, but came up. We had a, um, a pair of twins, a boy and a girl. Um, the parents didn't want to have two different parties at two different times or two different places and have to do it twice. But the kids did not want to share. Uh, the kid would want to share their birthday. They each wanted their own friends. So they were able to actually you know, um, have a party where each one has separate parties, two separate party rooms, two separate games, each with their own friends, totally separate scoreboards, scorecards, you name it. But at the same time, so the parents only had to do it once. <laughs> that is really clever. And it's interesting how necessity is the mother of invention. And I have noticed that tendency towards parties, particularly I've observed it in the tri-state area. What do you think it is about your region that that is that makes that such a specific request? I honestly have no idea. Um, I've asked other operators that I've known going you know, back to the first ones that opened and everyone said it's just always been that way. Like it was just a customer demand from the beginning. Um, I, I'm not really sure. It, it's before I ever started playing, when I first started noticing parties or, you know, just as a regular customer coming the weekend, when I first started noticing, you know, the business a little bit more and, you know, became a regular and could see what was going on or working at a place. It was already well entrenched. I mean, you know, many years entrenched. No one seems to know when it started or how but it became the norm. Like anybody who's anybody here just knows that that's sort of the way it goes. And what other sites would do just does not fly. Uh, I mean, occasionally you get somebody that's moved to the area or it might be completely new, but I have no idea what it is, but everyone expects it. Even people who have never done a laser tape birthday party before automatically know it will be private for them. So it's just something. <laughs> well, it's interesting how laser tag is received in different areas also like there are parts of the country where you walk in at any time of any hour of the day and it's fine and there are other times when you definitely have to work around those birthday parties but you've had the experience of playing laser tag not just in different states but different countries and seen a lot of things so I love to hear the stories and I know you have some. So uh, let's talk about some of the interesting things that you've seen, if not necessarily at your arena during the years that you've been playing laser tag. I know you've been overseas a number of times. Um, and what out of your experience would you say has been maybe the most interesting or outrageous laser tag arena? Uh, Iceland. Uh, just because it was you know, so it wasn't the most unique arena in layout or design. It was a bit on the small side, but well-designed, good, good use of the space. But it was just, I'm in a laser tag arena in Iceland. I mean, who, who would have thought, like, even, even after traveling to other countries, it wasn't something I would have thought about, you know. Uh, wow, like, uh, Iceland wasn't a place I thought I'd be, but being there for another laser tag trip and had a great stopover chance and stopped over and, you know, had a, a nice owner reached out to him. He came out and picked me up at the hotel and brought me out to show me around the site. That was, that was um, again, not the most impressive, you know, layout of the field or, or anything, or even the most remote, so to speak. But it was still just, I'm just an experience I remember forever. <laughs> That's awesome. How many countries have you played in? Uh, uh, eight. 
Okay. And Iceland was your most memorable, it sounds yes. like. But um, I, I know sometimes playing in, in areas outside of the United States, uh, what they deem acceptable practices are different than what we might. Um, so have you come across any really interesting for good or for bad experiences at arenas, but you're like, that would never fly back home? Uh, I, I assume you're you're guiding towards the arena of death, as everyone calls it. Uh, Swedish story. <laughs> I'm not naming names. I'm just asking. Do you have any experiences to share? <laughs> um, the most unsafe arena I've ever been in, uh, um, I think, was nicknamed Arena of Death. Um, that most uh, Armageddon players, you know, tournament players have been to, have uh, all pretty much had a similar experience of wow. Um, in Stockholm, Sweden. It was impressive design layout, uh, really well built. There's a whole section. It's like Aliens movie. Um, another section that's the Warhammer 40K and giant Space Marines tank. Very impressive build out. Um, but it's it's in a cave, like underground. The whole series is built on granite, and it's many stories below ground. Um, there's a cave floor section with you know moisture and water in, so it's slick. Um, they have a rat problem. They have rat poison. Just on the ground and it's kicking up dust so you can hear it. Um, they had light bulbs that when they you know went bad, they just broke them and replaced them and just left the broken glass on the floor mixed with the rat poison and on the slippery floor. Um, there's beams that are you know not painted or highlighted at all that are you know, right across head and area in areas that have no lighting so you can just smash right into it. Exposed nails, you know, pallets and stuff and rusty nails just sticking out everywhere. Um, but the the by far the you know, craziest part is the elevated sections. They have um, almost sort of like a spiral staircase, like a center tower that leads to the multiple floors. So it's like concentric rings above each other in this open area. And the, the stairwell, I say it's stairs, that goes up, stairs would be bad enough, but there's no side railing. So it's not like a ramp with a rail. It's, it's just, it goes straight down and the stairs turn into a ramp. Like at one point, the stairs, and then they just it just becomes ramp, like smooth ramp at like a you know thirty degree angle, and then it goes back to stairs, <laughs> and it's not painted or highlighted or anything, and there's no side railing. Um, and I, I played with several people from the UK on the team when I was there, and we all just agreed we weren't going up to the, the top floor. Like we just looked at it, it was like it wasn't worth dying to win the game. It was a powerful area, but we weren't going. We just stayed in the lower levels. Um, yeah, I've, I've, you know, had slips and falls and stuff on ramps before, and I've had to use that side railing to stay up many times, especially some zone arenas. No side railing on that one was not something was going in. So that's probably the, the I'd say, craziest arena I've been in, like, or a difference in national. Like, because apparently they said, like, you can't, there's the way the tort laws are in Sweden, it's kind of all on you. You can't really sue people. So, like, you saw, you saw how dangerous it was. You played anyway, so. Um, I didn't get to see it because I didn't go up to the top floor, but um, there was a section with like electrical, like exposed electrical wires just laying in the water across the floor, I was told. And um, I think Redneck Tech has a video of it. And there's a hallway with a door, like a regular, you know, like bathroom door, like a knob, and it opens between the two hallways. So you can just open it right into somebody's face that's going right along and off the floor they go, you know, down the shaft to the bottom. These are the stories of laser tag lore because everybody has heard about this arena, whether you've been there or not, but you've experienced it. So I, I, I take your story as, as truth there because you've seen a lot of things and you've seen a lot of packs and you've seen some packs that have migrated. So uh, you know what I'm talking about. Tell me a story about the packs you've played in multiple locations because you've got some, you've had some interesting, unique experiences. I think a lot of Armageddon players have gotten to play on the same packs, you know, Redneck Tech's packs and Logan's packs as, you know, we've gone arena to arena and done setups. Um, I've gotten to play at some packs that have actually been multiple arenas in Lasertron. Uh, the story I told you, the LT7, later LT9 at a site. Um, Spaceplex out here. Uh, was famous out in this area. And then they closed and the packs moved, moved to a new site that opened called Sports Plus which closed and then the packs moved to a site called Fun Zone, and then that closed and then they moved to a site that's still operating right now that was called Laser Bounce. Um, so it's been on operation in four sites and I've probably played every single one of those packs at one time or another in all four sites. 
Um, so they're, they're no longer in operation at Laser Bounce. They have upgraded. Uh, I think they're running 11.5 now, but they still have them in storage. And I've told the owner before he ever throws them away, I want at least one of those packs and the radio because I will set it up at my arena. So I could say I played that pack in five stores. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And I love stories like that because you do see so much transition between um, between businesses and it's, it's cool to hear that the equipment just keeps on trucking. And that's a rather unique experience, but not everybody can say they've, and almost nobody I bet can say they've played it in four to five different locations, the same gear. Um, it wasn't just the same gear, it was the same arena. The actual columns and bases and everything moved from building to building. Oh, the entire setup. Oh my goodness. Everything. Yep. Then you've got to get a piece of that arena to just drop <laughs> in the middle of yours. <laughs> That's awesome. Definitely a unique story though, and something that not everybody can claim. And uh, tell me what else have you encountered that's been really unique or uh, something that you're just not going to see every place? Anything come to mind that I need to see that I haven't yet? At this point, I would say you've probably been to every site that I've ever been to, except for some of the foreign ones or ones that have closed, um, most likely. <laughs> uh, some very, very good tactical fields. If, you, if you've never been to over in New Jersey, Fireball Mountain, um, it's very different than a lot of the tactical fields I've been to. It's, it's like the highest levels of uh, professional run quality equipment, quality setup, quality staff, uh, organized games, very complex game formats that are, are well-run, not just, you know, seat of the pants, like like some of the most successful or the largest of the paintball fields organized type level. It, it was definitely interesting. Like it's it's the most enjoyable, it's what got me into enjoying Tactical. Uh, and the owner had moved to his new location. He originally had a different business, but now it's Firewall Mountain. And he's got an amazing field with like trenches and castles and, not just randomly thrown up, like well thought out and how they, their usage and each each side has different advantages and disadvantages. And I mean, it's tactical and yet he's able to basically have equal wins for each side. So both have, they have different ways to play, but they have equal chance of winning, which is an unusual thing. Normally it's just, yeah, it's in these woods and one side always has an advantage. You know, I just recently played at a tactical arena that had something I've never seen before, but maybe you have, or maybe I've seen it and uh, not realized it. It's not even that I've seen it, that I smelled it. What it was, I was at TAC Ops, which uh, is a tactical arena in uh, the site I was at was in Fairfield, New Jersey. And uh, they have a very theatrical, very immersive atmosphere there. And uh, there are rooms, they have a couple of rooms that one is uh, the respawn location in the barbershop where they're pumping in the fragrance of shaving cream. And then they have another room that looks like a, a bar room where they are pumping in the fragrance of a stale beer. And then there's a tank in the middle and you get the fragrance of artillery fire. And I wonder if that's something that you've encountered anywhere else, because I don't think that I have. I can't say that. I mean, I've, I've been to some that had some interesting smells from the paint. I don't think it was necessarily intentional. <laughs> um, I've been to some that had some uh, uh, artificial foliage that happened to have like an aroma because that's just what they purchased. I don't know if, again, if that was too intentional, you know, like jungle themes and things like that, that, you know, you have houseplant fake ones that have a bit of plant aroma, like chlorophyll smell. But usually it's just the fog juice smell. <laughs> well, that one we know very well. And I think... Uh, I think you would probably more be more likely to find something like that in a tactical arena where they've put some theatrical theming in intentionally versus the average traditional arena. But it is kind of interesting to see how tactical and traditional handle things differently. And uh, so we'll have to check that one out. Yeah, let me know where that is. If I pass by, I got to try that because I've never, heard, I've never seen that before. Are there any other unique experiences you can think of that you could share from all your many years of laser tag? I would say probably one of the most unique ones. It's just like local or going way back to just, you know, still playing on Long Island and hadn't played anywhere else. Um, that um, laser space, the Korean zone knockoff system I played had a very competitive league system. It was the first, wasn't the first league I played in, but it was the first, you know, um, well, yeah, it was. So, but it was the first like real competitive one we had with multiple teams and you know back and forth and different ones could win different times. Um, 
there was a lot of personalities involved and again everyone had different nicknames as said and other people picked it uh there was one player that was nicknamed by everybody else the terminator um he played basically like the first terminator mover Arnold schwarzenegger going through the police station just walking down and as people like popped out he just you know shot them um, he didn't run, he didn't dodge, he didn't hold a phaser up high, literally just at the waist and just walked around. He's very, very large man and slow and just dominated like high scores, you know, top three every game, but no tactical, we just kind of wandering around. But they also joke was that he was like a horror movie villain, um, kind of, I guess, the Terminator, so to speak in that he had like the ability to always catch up to you even if you were running away and he was just walking. Suddenly he was always around the corner and he had the monster teleport ability where you just appear in areas he couldn't. And that literally happened. My friend and I were in a cubby, you know, one of those ones that has one way in and we're each on a separate wall and we're bunkered in. It was like a little pillbox cubby with like two walls like this and then the back wall. So we're each, and they're like, you know, kind of like laser quest style, like down like 45. So we're each shooting over the tops of them and crisscrossing fire. And we're in there a good minute, I'd say, holding out against attack around our base area. And that was the entrance to the base area, basically. So people couldn't set up to attack the base. And suddenly we both get tagged. And we like are looking at each other because we both got shot in the back. And we turn around and there's Terminator standing between us, the back against the wall, <laughs> and just walks out of the cubby. And my friend and I both look at each other, <laughs> look at him, look at each other. And then both of us just instinctually just looked up as if like, that's where he came from. <laughs> and if you had seen this man, he didn't climb on the wall. <laughs> oh goodness! Um, but somehow he must've just walked in there. Been there. We, somehow we didn't just notice him. He must've been down lights off because it was very dark. Um, and we just hadn't noticed him. And for some reason he decided not to tag us for 45 seconds just to catch the surprise at the end. <laughs> But that was the personality. Just yeah, almost everyone that I played with in the group had the story about the Terminator just appearing behind them at some point. That's awesome. That kind of falls into the category of that probably couldn't happen twice, or maybe it could yeah. be a bad guy. <laughs> but it's funny the, the things like that that you remember that'll just stay with you forever. So, oh, yeah. uh, any other memories that pop into your mind? Because we love the stories. All laser tag players have those kind of moments to reminisce about. This goes way back on it. Same same site, totally different game, um, a different team. But you know, back then, you know, your first laser tag experience, if you're not exposed to you know the larger competition scenes, you don't really have well thought out rules. You know, it's basically the you know no running, climbing, you know, or jumping type thing. Mm -hmm. um, this is back in the '90s. They didn't even have a rule about kneeling. Like you could kneel back then. Like even in sites that didn't let running, like, of course you can kneel. Why not? You know, or crouch. Um, this led to the, the league eventually having a rule about, you know, crawling. Um, we were playing the game and the base is all locked down. Again, this is like a zone base style, you know, like outer area and inner perimeter area. And it was a, a heavy battle going on in the base, base evac. And so people are going, you know, cycling in and out. And suddenly our base just goes off. And we're all kind of looking around or whatever. And then someone looks down and a kid had laid on his back and shimmied like a snake between the legs of my friend into the base, got underneath and somehow shot the base. And somehow none of us had noticed him. No one just peripheral just looked down. <laughs> like all the lasers that are, you know, going just like they make lights on the floor. So his pack lights just kind of builded, I guess, onto the ground for that. But we looked down, he's just on his back, just shooting the base. Oh my goodness. Sometimes those little ones have a better advantage than you think. <laughs> That's yeah. crazy. So that was my first exposure to no crawling rules. <laughs> the league quickly implemented them after that game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's amazing what the last 35 years of laser tag have forced you to think about that you didn't before. <laughs> oh. Well, that's an awesome story. And, you know, you're in the very early stages of having stories to tell from your own uh, watching young ones and older ones and all, all sorts of players enjoy your arena. But do you have any stories that have happened at Kinetics so far that'll stick with you in your mind for a while? 
not really per se, but it, it's just more enjoyable hearing everyone else's stories. And in my own head thinking like, oh, that's not, that's not a great one. That's, that's one of the ones that you're like at the time was, oh yeah, but then better ones are going to quickly push that one out of your, you know, repertoire. But it's really enjoyable seeing people, you know, I, I have no experienced players here. So everybody is a first timer. So it's, it's getting to see all of that. Like I, I've experienced that a bit at sites that I've been playing at, you know, when new people come in, but I've never been able to experience it like this much, you know, where everybody's a new person. And so it's all these people's, you know, first time this and first time that, and, you know, the first time an underdog wins, you know, that kind of thing and the excitement that generates and that, you know, that sort of behavior. Um, I would say their biggest moments right now are when are those underdog, you know, when somebody wins something, you know, especially a solo game or elimination and somebody wins that nobody thought was going to win that kind of thing. What have you found to be the most rewarding part of being on this new side of the fence as the operator watching all that? Oh, the the kids, you know, like the birthday parties, or, you know, the lifeblood of the laser tags is say, you know, birthday party factories in a lot of ways. But a bad day at a laser tag is still a good day when you have a bunch of happy kids. It's really hard to have, you know, a really bad day. You can be stressed, you can be tired, et cetera, but like, it's not like an office job and just, you know, depressed and miserable. Like the, if the kids are having a great time, it's kind of infectious energy. You know? That's awesome. And I think that, you know, it, watching kids play kind of takes you back to what made you fall in love with laser tag in the first time. I know it does for me, especially, I especially love to see a little girl take out yeah, her brother or her or the older players or whatnot. And if I can coach her in a game, I, I just love to see that. So very cool because you, know, you do take away some pretty cool experiences. And I know you have taken away more than just experiences. You've brought back some awesome souvenirs. And um, I know that you've been very instrumental in helping the Laser Tag Museum to acquire a couple of cool items. Uh, but I would love to hear about your collection of Laser Tag and what some of the really nice finds you've uh, amassed might include. What kinds of things do we find in Aztec's Laser Tag collection? <laughs> The coolest for me was um, actually a, uh, a laser quest pack. Um, uh, I think it was uh, R11 pack. Uh, I'm not as great with the laser tag equipment or laser quest equipment as I am with some of the others. So I might've had the wrong version of it, but I believe it was an R11 um, that had come from the UK into Russia that was reverse engineered to make the last club um, basically the first Russian-made laser tag system. Um, I got to meet the engineer um, in Moscow who had done it and basically reverse engineer it, made his own, his own equipment out of it. And um, he gave me one of the packs that he had that he had reverse engineered to make it. It no longer worked, but uh, I donated that one to um, the Laser Tag Museum because I thought that was interesting. You know, uh, I said, you know, we could get alongside one of the, the last club packs, you know, you can put the laser quest pack that literally you know, was used to make it. You know, mm -hmm. I know they had other versions of that laser quest pack, but not one that was reverse engineered to make another system. It'd be kind of cool to have the exact pack. So I thought that was kind of the coolest thing I found. But uh, my collection is pretty tame compared to most most of the other people, such as yourself, that collect. Um, I actually don't even have any um, actual full photon gear, as you have behind you. Uh, I have uh, photon home gear, mm -hmm. a bunch of it. Um, too much, my wife would say. <laughs> uh, all stuff I wanted as a kid, you know, the laser tag, home home equipment, the, you know, Worlds of Wonder toys, um, the base, the, you know, BART and star helmets, et cetera, that I could never afford as a kid and never had, uh, especially the Photon. The Photon, you know, home packs were the, were the it's like the um, aircraft carrier for G.I. Joe. Was the, you know, only the one kid in the whole school had that thing. And he was, you know, he was the bomb. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, the photon packs. So now I have multiple of the photon packs um, for the home stuff. And I still kind of like it. I know the helmets are out of date, but uh, as a couple of people have said, you know, going to Photon for the first time, you know, and experiencing photon, it's reminded me of it. It's a different experience. It seems really dumb, the idea of the helmet, but it totally changes your perspective of the game going in. When you put the helmet on, it's like, whoa, like <laughs> it's, it takes you out of the rest of the world in a way that the vests and packs don't. Um, but yeah, so most of my collections like that. Um, the coolest uh, artifacts in the homebrew market that I'd say I have is a Star Trek phaser, um, which is effectively yeah. the first home laser tag system. Like it actually is two, two Star Trek you know, phasers um, that can tag each other. I think they came out in 1979. So it's not the original laser tag, like the Miles Gear or something, but it was the first 
actual infrared system that can tag another system that was sold commercially, you know, for home use. That's awesome. Very cool. Uh, my wife got it for me as a, um, a birthday present one year, and just, I don't know how she found them because the, they working condition are rare. So. Oh, absolutely. Well, what would be your grail item to try and acquire? Is there a laser tech artifact out there that you'd just love to get your hands on? Uh, I, I mean, my first default would probably be to say the black rifle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that I got to hold, and that's probably the most exciting picture I have. You know, Me too. <laughs> just because it's, you know, it exists. It's the thing that you know does exist. Um, you know, there's like the, some of the photon figurines, like I think you have the prototype tibia. Yeah. I know there was rumor that there was actually more than a prototype made, like an actual painted figure, but I've, I've, I don't know if that's true. I have seen a picture of a painted figure. I have a not so much painted figure. Um, it's got the gray base paint. So I presume that there are a few floating around there. At, at least two. I have the for advertising that, or something they made them. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know what? I guess that that would make sense because there was a print ad for it, so there has to be a painted prototype out there. Uh, but only only have I seen that in photos. Much for, like the Mandar, but, but, I've only seen in photos. Yeah. So some of those would be pretty pretty neat to have, just because as a kid I wanted them and they never actually existed. But I swear I remember seeing them in the you know in the um, um, catalogs and stuff as a kid or at Christmas time, be like, oh, and then then told that they don't exist. I'm like, but I saw pictures of them. <laughs> so that's kind of that with the black rifle. But honestly, I would love to be able to get a laser space pack. Like I said, the system I played that had such an influence that the first real competitive experiences I had in laser tag, because it was such a, you know, I don't know how many sites they had in Korea, maybe 20, but in the US they had three and then they all went away and they looked quite a bit like um, the old laser blast packs do. Um, but yeah, uh, other than a couple of pictures of some promotional material, you know, that the museum has, that's it. I, I haven't seen any others. Um, I would like to try and track down the, um, the gentleman that was the manager of the site here. Apparently he still lives here in New York and Queens. We had, um, found his address and then lost it. So I might show up at his house one day, see if he remembers me, but, um, if there's any packs in the U S he would probably know where they are. Well, I certainly hope you acquire one and find it someday because I think there's something really special about the first laser tag that you ever play. I think your first becomes your favorite just almost by default. There's something extra special about it. Do you feel the same way? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Although again, my first technically was Photon that I would never consider so oh, Photon well. player. I probably played fewer than 20 games total. <laughs> um, but yeah, the first system, like that, that sort of became my home system that I played the most and probably still played the most games on. Um, I mean, we lost track well over 2,500 games. I have no idea. It was, we used to play so many games a week for, for years that I don't think I'll pass it on many of the systems, or at least even if I do on another manufacturer's equipment, I don't think I'll ever pass that many on one version, mm -hmm. you know, like, like might pass it on laser force, but, but split up between gen six, gen seven, you know, gen five, gen eight, you know, eventually gen nine, you know, that kind of thing. Which begs the question, now that you have your own arena and you have your generation that you're operating with, uh, how much laser tag do you play now versus what you played back in the day? Do you play more or do you play less? A lot less. <laughs> um, too busy. Uh, yeah, I, I, it, I mean, if uh, there's an opportunity to play for the staff, uh, someone has to watch the front if we're open. Uh, it's you know, the owner's job, really. It's, I should be the one doing it. So a lot of times I'll watch and let other people play. Um, I probably played fewer than 100 games in the last six months since we opened. A good chunk of those were just testing stuff, you mm -hmm. know, because uh, we have some formats we've modified or other things. We're just running a quick test game and, you know, tweaking it. So stopping the game early, that kind of thing. Um, I think on the membership card here, I only have, I'm only in the sixties, like 61, 62 games swiped in. So. Oh, wow. 
I guess we always think that if you own the laser tag place, you're going to take advantage and play as much as you can, but you've got grown up responsibilities too. So, <laughs> but it's still amazing to get to have your own place, I'm sure. Uh, and having seen it, like I say, it, it's really a beautiful arena. And I hope lots of people visit you and get a chance to experience what Kinetics has to offer because you do have some very cool, unique things. And I know you, I know you have more in store for your customers. So it's going to be very cool to see how, how Kinetics evolves and grows and becomes part of the uh, the the uh, landscape of laser tag out there on Long Island. And I appreciate you taking some time to answer a few questions and share some stories. And I always like to wrap up with a little rapid fire tag talk. Let's give it a shot. I'll fire some quick questions at you. Just fire some quick answers back. All okay. right. Favorite laser tag system of all time. Oh, God, that's so tough. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say laser space. And then I had the most fun with it. Um, but, you know. No, I'm going to say V4, System Z V4 zone. All right. If I can only tell you one the rest of my life, that'd be it. <laughs> Favorite arena besides your own? VB, then it was zone. Okay. Coolest person that you've ever met through laser tag? Uh, <laughs> basically, um, everybody at Armageddon. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, but I mean, talking to you here, you know, and uh, uh, Eric and stuff, it's, I don't think we pick one person. Lots of cool experiences out there. Coolest place that you've ever visited because of laser tag? Oh, um, Russia. Okay. I, I wouldn't have gone if it hadn't been for laser tag, so. Biggest prize that you've ever won? Um, the, well, Armageddon. That was certainly the most difficult. Okay. Favorite tournament you've ever played? Um, Russian Armageddon, uh, um, the last two times I played. And favorite snack at the concession stand? <laughs> Popcorn. <laughs> All right, very good. Well, thank you. Nathan, Aztec, owner of Kinetics, laser tag guru who uh gives me a run for my money as far as the uh, count of arenas thank you so much for taking some time for some laser unfocused tag talk i appreciate it and thanks so much for uh, being here with me today thank you laurie thanks for checking out this episode of laser unfocused tag talk listen for more episodes on the first and third friday of each month want to be a guest on an upcoming episode Find out more and follow my blog and website at TiviaChickLovesLaserTag.com.